Welcome to the markets. Hello again. I'm Orion Samuelson for our weekly get-together, taking a look at market activity during a holiday-shortened trading week. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, November 29. And it was a shortened trading day today after the Thanksgiving Day holiday when markets were closed and the major indices ended today's shorter session lower as, again, U.S.-China discord over Hong Kong-fueled investor anxiety about trade talks and retail stocks dipped as in-store Black Friday sales appeared to draw smaller crowds. China on Thursday threatened to retaliate against a U.S. law backing pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong with potential measures including barring drafters of the legislation from mainland China, Hong Kong, and Macau. That according to the editor of China's state-backed Global Times tabloid. And uh, today, a Reuters report cited two sources saying the U.S. government may expand its power to stop more foreign shipments of products with U.S. technology to China's Huawei due to the frustration that a black listing failed to end supplies to the world's largest telecom maker. So while the S&P closed above its session low, selling intensified in the last hour of trading. All three of the major indices had registered record highs earlier in the week when hopes were higher for imminent phase one of the U.S.-China trade deal. For the month, data showed the S&P rose 3.4%, while the Dow gained 3.7%, and the Nasdaq climbed 4.5%. It was the biggest monthly gain for all three major indices since June. One investment strategist said the U.S.-China news gave a little bit of a weaker tone to today's market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 112 points, ending the day, the week, and the month at 28,051. The S&P 500 lost 12 points to close at 31.40, and the Nasdaq Composite dropped 40 points to end the week at 8,665. While many investors took the day off after the Thanksgiving Day holiday, others were likely on the sidelines as they waited for economic data, including the jobs report due out next week, and any retailer comments about initial numbers for the year-end holiday shopping season. The analyst said we've got a good slate of data coming next week that will give us a better indication where we are in the cycle And people are going to want to know how did today's retail sales go. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, another analyst went on to say, are people getting up, getting dressed, and going out and shopping physically? Or are they just getting dressed, moving to the couch, and turning on their computer and ordering online? 
Shares of Tech Data Corporation jumped 12% as private equity firm Apollo Global Management raised its bid for the U.S. Information Technology Equipment Distributor to $5.14 billion. Uh, The S&P 500 posted 18 new 52-week highs and one new low, and the NASDAQ composite recorded 75 new highs and 28 new lows. And with the shorter trading day, trading volume was light, in the session with 3.55 billion shares changing hands on the U.S. exchanges, and that compares with the 6 million or 6 billion 860 billion uh, that had traded for the last 20 sessions. Price of oil also slumped today, and uh, waiting now for OPEC. Uh, to hold another meeting and talk about supplies. All oil prices uh, dropped more than 4% on the fresh trade tensions and the record high U.S. crude production. But they still ended the month higher as OPEC watchers expect an extension next week to an agreement to uh, cut oil output beyond March. Brent crude futures down a dollar forty-four cents at sixty-two dollars forty-three cents a barrel, and the U.S. crude settled down two dollars ninety-four cents at fifty-five dollars seventeen cents. That meant a decline of a little over four percent on the week after three consecutive weekly increases. And on a monthly basis, U.S. crude poised uh, for a jump of about two and a third percent. That would be its highest since June. So that's a look back. Now let's look ahead. And I guess before we do that, let's take a little closer look at the uh, Black Friday shopping. Because the frenzy associated with Black Friday shopping was missing today as U.S. retailers offered earlier discounts and more consumers shopped online. Although spot checks around the country showed traffic did pick up after a sluggish morning. Uh, A Target electronic salesman in Chicago said, It's slow now because we had a big, big rush last night. And Black Friday does remain important for holiday shopping, but its relevance is fading amid early promotions with six fewer sales days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That has pulled spending forward. More than half of consumers polled by the National Retail Federation in the first week of November had begun making purchases. And a spokesman for a retail consulting firm said, We've seen many merchants start their promotions pretty much right after the trick-or-treaters have gone to bed. Visits to retailers showed more shoppers after a sluggish start today, but frantic crowds were nowhere to be seen. Another supervisor at a retailer said, We tend to have more deals in stores so people come in rather than go online. The only problem today is we didn't expect how slow it would be. 
While store traffic still remains an important indicator, a lot of Black Friday shopping now happens online. Adobe Analytics, which measures transactions from 80 of the top 100 U.S. online retailers, estimates $7.5 billion in online sales for Black Friday. And that's up 20% year over year. U.S. online sales on Thanksgiving Day jumped 17% to $4.1 billion. Walmart, Target Corporation, Costco Wholesale, and Best Buy have bulked up their online presence, their deliveries, and in-store pickups. So to keep foot traffic flowing, retailers at Hudson Yards in New York were offering doorbuster deals, and uh, other shoppers were skeptical about how good the deals really are. So the jury is probably out uh, for a week or two on what we did on Black Friday. Now, looking ahead, we have Cyber Monday ahead of us, but uh, let's look at some of the other activities. Tiffany & Company, which is being bought by French luxury goods conglomerate LVMH in a multi-billion dollar deal, expected to post an increase in third quarter same-store sales on Thursday of next week. Helped by new marketing and product lines, investors will look out for any comments on how U.S.-China trade tensions and the protests in Hong Kong are impacting its business. Separately, on the same day, Dollar General Corporation expected to post an increase in third quarter same-store sales, benefiting from remodeled stores and the addition of private label products to its shelves. Wednesday, the ADP National Employment Report, likely to show 140,000 jobs were added in November, compared to 125,000 in October. The Commerce Department on Thursday expected to show goods trade gap narrowed to $49 billion in October from a negative reading of $52.5 billion in the last month. The department also expected to report factory goods to have risen three-tenths of a percent in October. And then the Labor Department on Friday scheduled to release the non-farm payrolls for November Likely those numbers have increased to 180,000 from 128,000 the previous month. Kroger Company expected to report an increase in third quarter revenue on Thursday, boosted by demand for its private label brands and as new store layouts and self-checkout services pull in more shoppers into stores. Wednesday, Campbell Soup Company expected to post a decline in revenue and profit for the first quarter, hurt by lower demand for its soups. And investors will also keep an eye out for any update of more divestitures from the company. Federal Reserve Chairman, some of them will be on speaking calendars next week, but not nearly as busy 
as we have seen in past weeks. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Clayton Pope is back with us this weekend. Clayton Pope Commodities, based in Champaign, Illinois. It's good to see you here. Thanksgiving and the harvest goes on. Yeah, it does for some. Boy, this is a crazy year. I think a lot of people are ready to close the book on this one. We did note in the past week more and more of those social media shots showed us the last few rows, the last few plants. And it was such a a joyful moment, you could tell, for those producers who were wrapping it up and others. uh, You could see the ruts yet in the field. You could see the struggle going on. And there is still a significant amount of this corn crop yet to be harvested. Oh, it really is. I mean, these guys, I feel bad for them. They're struggling. Um, you know, the, the percent harvested is, is still really lagging in corn. Beans, I guess, on that last report is only about 4% behind the five-year average at this point. I think 91 versus 95%, so not that big a deal there. But uh, corn, good grief, it's a story that just won't end. And the remaining crop out there may be hard to get yet because of... I think so. I mean, they're saying more and more. I can't remember the exact percentage, but North Dakota was only like, what, 25% harvested or something like that. So uh, it almost seems undoubtedly that a lot of that's not going to come out till spring at this point. How many farmers will be content to leave it out there? They'll just park the combine and say, we're going to go back out at, out there in March. That's kind of a risky proposition, isn't well, it? That'd make for a pretty uneasy Christmas, I think. Yeah, for sure. But uh, some of those guys are used to it. I mean, it's, it's a last resort. They sure don't want to, but uh, it's, it's not as disastrous as you might think, usually. I mean, you're definitely going to take some kind of hit. It almost seems like we've settled into the doldrums here as far as the market is concerned. Boy, it kind of seems like it. Um, it's, it's hard to believe the first notice day for December is coming up so soon here. But, um, uh, heck, you look at those option premiums, and uh, you can tell this market is just not looking for anything exciting to come down the road for quite a while. We have, at times, for one reason or another, and I just think back through the years that we wound up with some kind of a Santa Claus rally. That <laughs> you got into the holiday period and, hmm, something happened and had not been anticipated. And there was, either before Christmas or maybe in that Christmas to New Year's period, a somewhat of a rally. Is there anything like that out there looming? Anything that even remotely holds the prospect for delivering here for the growers this year? Yeah, I'm ready any time, but... Um well, I, I can't even believe this word's going to come out of my mouth because I'm not real big on following seasonals. But uh, the seasonals, you know, for both corn and beans, uh, they start to turn up here you know, pretty soon. And I think you could argue that might be delayed a little bit this year just because of the late harvest. Uh, so whatever those forces are that kind of cause those seasonals to take place, uh, maybe they will kick into gear a little bit later. So it seems like the market's kind of trying to search for some support here right now. And I uh, can't call myself bullish, but I do think we're probably pretty close to, to the harvest lows. And uh, I would expect to see some kind of uh, retracement here to the upside. Some of the seasonal gains have been tied, have they not, in the past to problems in South America or anticipated problems, drying soils down there, for example? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, and, and it looked, uh, shoot, three weeks ago or so, it looked like that might be an issue. Um, but the recent rains have kind of 
put that on the back burner for right now. I mean, there have been some really good widespread rains in both Argentina and Brazil. However, uh, the, the rain amounts they're getting, and let's say maybe they're looking for one or two inches in a particular area in Brazil. As much as that sounds like, you know, for the soils down there and for their average, that's really only about half what their normal rainfall for this period would be on a weekly basis. So that being the case, even though they're getting some rain right now, like I said, it's sort of putting those uh, fears on the back burner for now. They're not out of the woods yet. In in uh, uh, it's such a bizarre business. We're sitting there hoping for a, you know some kind of trout scare in, in any part of the world, but. Um, you know, it's not that hard to imagine that that could be a concern hitting this market pretty soon if, if uh, uh, these rains start to shut off again. And even as they are right now, it's not really enough to replenish those subsoil moistures. There's something like, oh, depending on the area and so forth, you know, something like 50 to 80 percent of the acreage down there in uh, in Brazil is uh, uh, less than average of the 30-day and their 90-day you know, moisture profile. We know they've expanded their crop acreage. Is the expansion such that it, it spreads their risk a little bit? It makes it less likely that the market's going to get excited about weather challenges in South America. I think that's true. Um, it's a good point. I mean, uh, the driest areas right now in Brazil are the southern areas. And uh, as far as the bean production goes, that's not the, the heaviest production areas. So kind of like the U.S., I mean, it, it's hard to get a you know across the country uh, disaster looming. But uh, it, it's still, if it's severe enough for even you know a third of the acreage or something like that, I think it could impact markets. What will it take to get the market really excited about China again? Mm. I mean, we would... See, at various times over the past few months, a spike in price that correlated with what was going on in the equity markets, too, on any little bit of news coming out of China, or conversely, a a drop in price. Are we getting past uh, those reactions at all? It would certainly seem to be the case. I mean, uh, you go back a year ago, if there was a tweet or an announcement or whatever, it would, would, you know, you see the beans, it would send them one way or the other. Now it seems like the beans just kind of don't even hardly blink. Uh, however, the stock market, it seems like the, the, maybe it's just the algo traders or whatever, it continues to react pretty violently to so, those kind of stories. But uh, it does seem like the bean market in particular has become more and more immune to that really affecting it. I think and there's just a lot of disenchantment with the whole thing right now. Uh, I've sort of been a firm believer, and I, and I believe I, I said this last time I was on your show, that uh, – uh, frankly, I, I think the impact of a trade deal or not, uh, as far as uh, affecting the soybean market, is is really overrated. Uh, I mean, let's look at, look at the Chinese demand, and not only you know the purchases from us, but but uh, our shipments to them as well of soybeans. They've been big in the last couple months. So, and and, and we're in the middle of a trade war, and, and you know they keep granting these temporary uh, reprieves from from the tariffs and that kind of thing. The bottom line is, if they want the beans, they're going to buy them from us. Um, but I think the also the other bottom line is they would probably prefer to buy them elsewhere, you know, just because of the whole political thing. But um, uh, so whether there's a trade deal or not, it seems like they, you know, they've managed to be a better or a bigger customer than anybody thought they would be under the circumstances. And as such, uh, my feeling is that whether or not a trade deal is signed is probably not going to be that impactful to the soybean market. Let me move into the world of politics for just a moment. Oh, oh boy. Know, look, look out here. <laughs> I know, everybody who rides the CTA knows that they know that that third rail out there is the one that's energized. So we, we kind of stay away from <laughs> yeah. that. But oh boy, you might regret this. No, let, let me just ask you. You know, we're getting closer and closer to November of 2020. The yeah. clock is ticking. There, we quite often see in an election year 
rabbits pulled out of the hat. And it doesn't make any difference who's in the White House. We see things that have been done, maybe through uh, various existing agriculture programs, things that USDA can do. The the secretary who's sitting there can go out to an event somewhere near Makokata, Iowa, and announce a grant. But but there are things that happen, regardless Mm -hmm. of who's in the White House. Mm Mm-hmm. What is the prospect for something like that that could be meaningful in 2020? And and I note, and I simply ask you, and I, you know, these MFP payments that have been granted to producers this year to try to make up for the trade war have indeed been significant. They haven't made the producers whole, mm-hmm. but as many economists have pointed out, it would be a very different story from an income standpoint if they weren't there. Will there be more of those in 2020? Well, absolutely. It's been very impactful. I think uh, probably one of the major reasons why you're seeing uh, such strong basis levels in, in a lot of the country this year, the eastern Corn Belt in particular, I mean, it's just given people a lot more staying power, ability to hold on, you know, the real tight grip on, on, on their production and not be sellers as aggressively as they might normally be. But uh, rabbits out of the hat, boy. Um, well, I just got done sort of giving my feeling on the tariffs, uh, although there's no question if, if Trump were to roll back the tariffs, you know, like the December 15th one, and people are making that look like a big line in the sand, uh, let alone any, you know, possible new proposed ones like he's hinted at this last week. That, that I would think, give a boost to the market, although I think it would be kind of temporary. Um, he's pretty in a little bit of a corner right now. I don't know how he could do that without really looking like he's just throwing in the towel and, and look like a very weak negotiator at this point. But who knows? I mean, there's a lot of directions that could take. But besides that, I guess I sincerely hope nobody starts talking about some kind of set-aside or something like that because I think we're struggling to keep the market share we have in the world right now. I mean, if you look at a chart, particularly like of corn, our market share of the world export market has been falling dramatically. I think any kind of like set-aside or reduced acreage program, anything that would encourage that would really just be handing more market share to the, to our global competitors on a silver platter. And that would be a real mis- long-term policy mistake, in my opinion. But um, besides that, um, you know, I, I guess the ob- most obvious possibility would be you know, some kind of big jump in the whole uh, ethanol uh, world, you know, in, in biofuels. But uh, There is room there for the administration to do something, isn't there? Well, there really is. And uh, with the election coming up, uh, that would probably be a pretty fair game. You know, a lot of people feel like he's really slighted or you know, turned his back on, on on the farming community there with the uh, the credits given to the oil industry and all that. Market reaction would be limited, though, would it not? I think it would be limited, but it would be a positive. But, uh, you know, between that and the, uh, you know, the Japanese trade deal and then, you know, if, uh, maybe we'd come some kind of Band-Aid approach on this Chinese thing. You know, maybe all those would add up. I, I do feel that uh, as, as bad as corn demand is now, I don't think it can get worse, knock on wood. Uh, and it doesn't mean it's got to get better immediately. But uh, just this last week, we've seen uh, at least three daily sales of some pretty significant size of corn to unknown destinations, but it's just uh, that's living proof that uh, we are finally more competitive on a global basis. Is that headed to China, that corn? I doubt it, but uh, maybe. I mean, unknown destinations, I mean, that's, that's always the first thought. But uh, Are they still sitting on significant supplies of corn, whatever condition it is in? Uh, it seems to be the case, yes, reportedly. 
But uh, that's always a little sketchy in terms of how much to count on that. You talked about the bases earlier. There's some fairly good plays around out there, are there not, in terms of bases? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty mind-blowing, really. I mean, some not of these a, Farmers always, are not all treated equally, obviously, during the crop well, that's season. That's for sure. And in terms the of the geographical bases. differences are crazy. I mean, we've got a branch office uh, just west of, Indiana, of Indianapolis, and uh, you know, some of these people are looking at uh, like a posted bid of 30 over. You know, for the corn, and you don't have to go f- uh, too many miles uh, west of that into Illinois, and you're looking at you know, 25 under. I mean, it's it's crazy the the differences here. For uh, someone listening to us who wonders about that, what is responsible for those pockets of strength? Is it proximity, in some cases, to the river? Proximity to a, an ethanol plant? Proximity to a large uh, livestock population? What is at work in these instances? Well, kind of all of the above, I think. I mean, you know. Normally, and, and especially this year, I mean, you always have your the absolute strongest basis levels on the East Coast, you know, just because it's such a hog production area and a corn deficit area. And so I think you, you generally see, a, you know, the basis will weaken from that as you go west. And, and so uh, that's just a little bit more markedly uh, extreme this year, I think. But um, but I think the, the farmer holding, like like we talked about a minute ago, the, the ability of farmers to hold on a little tighter, I think uh, – Speaking in real broad sense, most farmers are probably finding themselves undersold right now because their production ended up being better than they thought it would be, and they're afraid to make the sales back when maybe they normally would have, especially when the prices are pretty decent. But everybody was convinced prices were going to skyrocket, and it it looked like we were going to have a production disaster for a while there. So as such, here they are undersold. Uh, yet, in spite of that, there you know there seems to be a real bullish sentiment out there. Thinking they're that, reluctant to pull the trigger. It's just move. a matter of time before you know, people see the light and the production's not there. Uh, That's we could dangerous, argue about it? that all day for sure. Uh, yeah, traditionally, I think when you see across the board strong farmer holding, traditionally my experience has been that it's, it's bearish flat price eventually because the market knows it's there, and uh, I don't think higher prices or, as we've seen, higher basis really wrenches it loose. More than anything, I think time will. You know, people have bills to pay. They don't want to pay the storage or they worry about condition or whatever. So the stuff will move. Probably just going to take some time. And I think as time goes on, and then also as we finally see the uncertainty wind down in terms of just what exactly production is, which presumably we'll, you know, know in that January report, um, at that point then I think you'll start to see these, these basis extremes level out pretty quickly. Presumably we'll know in the January report. Let's hope There's so. There's that other shoe that falls in June sometimes. I know, I know, exactly. But at least it'll be a number that everybody's going to have to live with for a while at that point. Thanks for being with us, Clayton. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. You too. Clayton Pope, Clayton Pope Commodities. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here. Here to help. Deere and Company this week warned of lower earnings next year after reporting a decline in quarterly profits hurt by trade tensions as well as the poor weather in the U.S. farm belt that has really slowed equipment purchases by farmers. 
In response to an uncertain business environment, the company announced a voluntary separation program for its salary employees, which is estimated to cost it about $140 million next year, but is projected to contribute to annual savings of $150 million. The world's largest farm equipment maker said it was also reviewing its overseas footprint and would focus on growing its more profitable parts and services business. Chief Financial Officer Ryan Campbell told analysts on an earnings call 2019 was a challenging year. The farmers certainly already knew that. So as we look at uh, where we ended the week and the month in the grain market at the Chicago Board of Trade, wheat futures exploded to a six-month high today due to threats to global production and as funds scrambled to cover their short positions in the post-holiday market. The rally gave support to Chicago corn futures, which hit a three-week high A day after the Thanksgiving Day holiday, soybean futures fell on growing U.S.-China trade tensions. So looking at the numbers at the close of this uh, shortened trading day at the Chicago Board of Trade, a big day for wheat, as we said, December wheat up 18 and three-quarter cents a bushel, December corn up seven and three-quarter cents a bushel, but January soybeans dropped five and a half cents a bushel. Livestock, lean hog futures um, uh, recovered a little bit from a two-month low, the uh, ending higher with a turnaround from a decline earlier in the session. At the end of the day and the week, the February lean hog contract up a dollar ten cents a hundredweight. The December live cattle contract down 12 cents a hundredweight and the January feeder cattle contract down 85 cents a hundredweight. So that's a look at another tumultuous week in the marketplace. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Hope you have a great week. Thank you for joining us on The Markets. Mm-hmm.